is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. I tried. I tried to figure out a way to edit this uh, next podcast down to two, but I could not. I have to make it one big, long podcast. It's over an hour. And uh, the reason why is because the content of it is so good. This is the continuation of a conversation between uh, our beloved pastor, Pastor Matt White, and uh, another beloved pastor, Seymour Helliger, from um, the Grace Community Church in Long Beach, California. And uh, this 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 podcast is really good. I mean, they talk about a lot of different things, and I'm very grateful that they uh, took the time to sit down and talk with me, answer a few questions, uh, but also give you know some wisdom from Scripture and uh, some wisdom of their own as well. Thank you for listening, and I appreciate you all coming in, but this is just a continuation uh, from last week, and uh, we will be sitting down to talk a lot more uh, in the coming weeks uh, about all the events that have happened, especially yesterday with the two police officers that were shot um, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, after their Brianna Taylor uh, indictments came down from the attorney general there. Um, very tragic uh, happening of events, uh, but we'll be talking about that here coming up in a few uh, short weeks. But here you go. This is the remaining conversation from last time. Please take a listen. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to the podcast as well on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, please email us at the truth talks podcast at gmail.com or drop us a line at uh, 612 truth. And now the rest of the podcast. Here we go. So there have been a lot of pastors, um, not a lot. I say a few pastors that before I would say back in December or even before that, before all of the George Floyd things had happened and the riots and the looting and all those things have happened. Those were pastors that were, you know, you would consider to be uh, solid pastors um, in, in more ways than one, you know, uh, solid preaching, solid authors. Uh, but it seems that in recent days, uh, without naming specific pastors, they have gone the way of critical race theory and endorsing it. And not just that, but also uh, teaching it in different ways and telling white people that they're sinful and that they need to repent from the original sin of whiteness. Um, these solid pastors, uh, are they pastors that we should, uh, mark and, you know, avoid, or, uh, is there some type of, and I'll, and I'll give you an example. One particular pastor I thought of, uh, said, very high things literally like you know that's the that's our pastor that's my pastor or they're you know saying high things about a pastor that was uh in full support of reparations and critical race theory and uh pretty much uh the the sermons that you know we've been watching online are just completely heretical and uh using scripture in a way to support his just completely heretical uh, uh ideas um should that be a pastor or an author uh, that we would recommend or listen to? Uh, even his his older uh, older uh, you know sermons or, or or books. I mean, is that something that we should say? You know what? Mark that person, leave him alone, or should we uh, kind of just take it with a grain of salt? Well, let me just begin by taking us maybe just reflect back on the scripture in 
in Genesis chapter three, obviously before that you have a, a pristine paradise in, in Eden and man is, as can be, is in a perfect relationship toward God, his creator. And then in Genesis chapter three, uh, his willful rebellion against God be becomes the beginning of this this inherited nature in every human being. And so everyone is now born with the sinful nature. Uh, it was so odious in the sight of God in Genesis chapter three. He said, I can no longer strive with man. Man was not just sinful, he was totally sinful. Um, so we have the term total or radical depravity that, that every part of, of, of our makeup, our, who we are, has been so affected by the fall and sin that there's nothing good in us. Doesn't mean that we can't do any good, but when it comes to God's standard, there's absolutely nothing good in us. Well, God wipes out creation, preserves a few people. He leaves them, but, but yet he leaves the seed because remember his promises, Genesis chapter 3, 15 still continues, that promise to be the Messiah. Well, even in that case, you still have coming out of the ark, uh, you still have sinful people who are justified by the grace of God alone. As we recall in, in, in Genesis that, that Noah found grace, it was in fact God's grace that found Noah. And it's mm. God's grace that was bestowed upon Noah. So you still have this, this sinful nature being passed on from generation to generation. You fast forward into the classic text in Romans chapter 3, and, and it charges all under sin. And, and Paul says, look, I charged you in the Greek or join the Gentile. In other words, every human being um, born under the first Adam is sinful and guilty before God. They have a sin nature and they sin because of this sinful nature. So there's no earthly cure for them. Uh, you, you go uh, to, to Romans, uh, throughout Romans chapter 3, the, the solution for this one is the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Romans chapter 5, the, the Apostle Paul says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And, and so now we, we have been reconciled to God, and it was a demonstration of God's love toward us, and we were reconciled as his enemies. Now, after that, beginning with verse 12 of Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul takes us back to the original sin, where it all began in the first Adam. And the only reason why I brought those passages up is, is that to conflate original sin with anything else is to do a great disservice and tell God he's a liar. Amen. So this is a very serious transgression. It is, once again, the classic statement made by the serpent. Did God truly say yep. that your sin is as evil as he says it is? And that the original sin rests in what Adam has done, and now, now we're all guilty in and through Adam. And whenever you supplement or replace that with any other act that a human can do, we fail to realize the nature of our, our issue is within us. It is who we are, not just what we do. What we do is just a fruit of what's in our heart. So it does a great disservice to the gospel and in a sense tells God that he, he is a liar. So uh, if, if this particular pastor who, who promotes uh, this, this wokeism, the woke church, and whose ideologies are, I mean, I wish I can just say it's heretical. It, that's insufficient. They are demonic. Wow. Yep. 
His Amen. ideals are demonic. If that's the case, and you're calling and you're aligning yourself with this guy, then you have to start marking this writer if he is unwilling to retract his statement. Mm. Now, I will say this, that this this uh, aspect of whiteness and white privilege, and, and I, I heard a coach say this, coach uh, who was hired by an NBA team says, yes, I I'm probably am a beneficiary of, of, of uh, white privilege, of quote, white privilege. Uh, all of these statements I expect from depraved people. Mm. Yep. I expect nothing else from them. Whenever depraved, that is unbelievers who are without Christ, make anything good or they say anything good, I give glory to God. Because yeah. only by the mercy of God that they actually do or say anything good. Wow. Now, I expect the unbelievers to use these ideologies because they're demonic, they're fleshly. Uh, uh, they, they, they blame systems and structures. It doesn't point to the original issue of the deception in the garden and the redemption that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I expect the unbelieving world to, to adopt these principles uh, as, as a way to describe the problem in society. When, when believers begin to adopt uh, these demonic ideologies, uh, they are undermining the gospel. And in undermining the gospel, they're preaching a different gospel. They're preaching a gospel of a different kind. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, even if we are an angel from heaven were to preach any other gospel than what we first preached, let him be accursed. Anathemize him. This, this is a very serious grievance because this transgression is an attack on on the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the good news on justification uh, is an attack on uh, a man's condemnation before, before holding a just God. And so for that reason, it is a doctrine of demons. I would say that we should mark those writers. Um, and I know that a few years ago, we uh, one of the pastors was starting to, to kind of capitulate and drift a little bit. We warned our readers that we do recommend his books, but if he continues to go down that path, we have to, re we have to pull his books. Mm -hmm. Well, he has gone on that path, this one particular pastor. So yeah, you pull the books because they're, they're always better resources to read. Yep. And, you know, the, the old adage is it's always just best to read the books of dead men. Um, it, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not that these these dead men were, were um, without fault. It's just that you can look back at the track record and, and you, you see there's not much hanging behind their tail. There's not a lot of trust. You have to pick up and clean up. They're dead. They're deceased. They were faithful. You can look at the track record and say, right. okay, let's, let's use these dead men's books. So I think there needs to be a resurgence of the men who are gone to glory. Who, who, who fit the criteria of 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's something else that has to be considered. And I know I'm belaboring the point, brothers. I want to apologize, but it's, it's just, I'm really getting long-winded on this one. Keep no, going. You're good. Look at the text of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is so critical that a faithful man of God is faithful to the extent that the doctrine that was given to him, he declares it consistently as it was given, and he lives it out passionately as he should. If those two things are not gelling, then that's not a faithful minister. Amen. Now, I know he may have had a history, but a history is not as important as the, the extent, the consistency. I prefer consistency than history. If you're consistently faithful, I would prefer that. And so what we're finding is that we're finding that these men are not faithful. Therefore, they're not to be trusted 
And they should not be entrusting anything to others because they're not faithful people. If they're not faithful to the doctrine as it was delivered to them, then they ought not to be uh, given a platform to entrust their deviations to others to deceive fellow believers. And Paul told Timothy that in 1 Timothy, people are getting carried away with these false doctrines. Well, he says to address that, to confront it, because the aim of our charge is, is love right? A good conscience and a sincere faith. Love from a pure heart, good conscience and a sincere faith. That is what we should also impart to the congregation and the listeners, is that we impart this sincerity of truth, this love, this purity in our love, and this sincere faith, this faith that was once and for all delivered to us. Anytime you take the faith, you are no longer faithful. Mm. Amen. So do you want to even say anything after that, Matt, or you're just going to let that uh, leave it leave it as it is? Yeah, I mean, how can I say any more than that? I mean, yeah. you just brought the scriptures out. Uh, the only thing I'll say will make it worse, but I'll say it anyway. And that, is, and that is that just adding to it and just being a rather, uh, rather <clears throat> crass but clear. I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, we we have We have in many ways too many pastors. Mm. We, have, we, we have too many pastors who are pretenders, and that's reality. It was the same thing in Paul's day. It's the same thing in our day. We have way too many men who are disqualified who should not be in ministry. We have way too many men who are not called by God who are claiming to speak on behalf of God. Mm. And that's all that this proves. That's all that it proves. It just... It just the true nature of the man is coming out when the storm blows, right? The, the strength of the home is determined by the, the storm that it withstands. And when these kind of storms blow and these pastors and churches topple, you're just really seeing who they truly are. And uh, the sad reality of Scripture is false doctrine and false teachers were the greatest threat that the church ever faced that has been and always will be. And uh, it's, it's high time that the modern church, the true church, wake up to that and start to realize that and hold, a, hold the calling of eldership high, hold a tight rein on who those men are, evaluate them, sift them, and, uh, and do not put men in those positions who are not called by God and have the character the calling and the competency to prove it or else this is just going to continue to cycle. And Paul was clear in Acts 20 with the elders in from Ephesus that when he met with them on Miletus, wolves are coming and they will devour the flock. More damage, more pain, more suffering is done by false doctrine, false teachers devouring the flock than COVID-19 will ever do, will ever do. Hmm. And, uh, and that's just reality. So that's what we're seeing. And uh, I know in our area, um, you know, having churches shut down uh, through this would be a good thing, would be a good thing. Mm. And, that's the, and that's the sad reality because we got a lot of churches that aren't churches. And, and all of this is just demonstrating. They're social gatherings, but they're not the called out ones, that's for sure. And... Uh, uh, I was telling somebody the other day, God, you know, Christ d died for the church. 
and he is building the church, and he will purify and purge the church. And Revelation 2 and 3 ought to scare every one of these pastors. Uh, you start messing around with the doctrines of demons. Jesus made it really clear what he will do, and you can read those those seven letters, and uh, it'll keep you up at night. And uh, sadly, it doesn't for a lot of these guys. And um, I don't know about where you are, Seymour, but it's a real disaster where we're at. I mean, it, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I, I mean, it's a disaster. These churches are folding to the BLM movement, to critical race theory. I mean, every week I get a new email. I get another I get another phone call of another guy who's telling his church they're all racist and that he's a racist and he apologizes and it's just this it's just this confusing man-centered mess and we've got the largest churches in our area some of whom i've met with their pastors trying to encourage them and they're all they've all gathered together they're writing a letter they're writing a letter a unified letter uh in support of blm coming out and they're forming a protest down at our capital in annapolis I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a disaster. And, and our church is being called racist. We're being told that we're the racist because we won't, we're not going to have anything to do with that. We speak against it. It's all nonsense. Matt, Matt brother, you're from West Virginia. <laughs> Amen. So, I mean, you got to be one. <laughs> I mean, isn't that, isn't that how we're doing it now? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The measure of a man is not Christ in him any longer. Nope. It's the color of his skin. It's the, it's, 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 the, it's his yeah. ethnic background. It's his cultural. It's his whatever. It's his flag he's carrying. It's a joke. And I'll this add is, to that. I'll add to that, that, you know, for them to say that our church is racist, I, as a black man, could never be racist. So, they, of course, they've gotten it wrong. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I can't be racist. You have to be because you're white. It just... To them, somehow that all makes sense. Yeah, it's but one, you know, going back to what your brothers are saying, is that we we're seeing uh, what I termed uh, the other day in the conversation with our brother intellectual suicide. That when when we don't discern the signs of our time, not based on what we perceive, no, but based on the clarity of the scripture as how it defines the essence of men and his inner compulsions, we will never come to terms as to what we ought to do in response to it. The other thing is that what I find to be so consistent, even in this area, is that, yeah, we do have issues here. And, and there, are, there are some that I would have called allies who will agree, we would agree on some of the, the key tenants who have also, in a sense, turned against me in some of my convictions concerning it. Because when I've made my statements and I'm finding out that they're, they're liking the opponent, it's like, oh, wow, this I did not know. Mm. It, it is amazing to see the floodgates are opening and trending in that direction. But it is always used, brothers, it is always used to define the church, yep. refine the church, and remove those who are not to be a part of the church. Totally. Mm. Now, there's some pastors who are waffling. And, that, and you made a, a statement that was true, brother. It wasn't crass. It was just credible because it's theological. You, you brought up Acts chapter 20. There's probably more, more wolves than there are true sanctifying shepherds today uh, mm -hmm. on the pulpits. They're pimps. 
but they're not shepherds. They're, they're hirelings, but they're not sent by the Savior. If you are deviating in this direction, I warn you not to. But if you continue in that, that path, it is very clear that you've abandoned the office. Absolutely. For something else more attractive. And yep. that is, in a sense, you want the world to accept you. You want forgiveness. You want this, you want this blight on American slavery to just go away without realizing that the deeper issue is not what happened then. It's what exactly. causes these things to happen. Mm, exactly. the, the lust about the cravings, the, the sinful desires that we all have. And then to add to that, we, we are basically, in some cases, our ancestors may have all been slave owners. So therefore, this is a mute point. Yep. That whenever we have a chance to use our authority against others, we want to make them our slaves and we, we're their masters. And if this isn't consistently happening in places, it's happening so much more prevalent in the pulpits today. Yep. Where the congregation is not seen, respected for who they are, but they almost seen the servants of the pastor. Especially in that culture, the, 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 the culture of my ethnicity, African-American, yep. whatever you want to call them, there is this sense of control that pastors have over the congregation. And that to me is the worst form of slavery because it's spiritual bondage and it's very difficult to come out of that. It's easy to be liberated from physical slavery, but spiritual bondage to your own sin and also the whims and the words of another man, like this, this false teacher uh, in, in Georgia, if I, if I can recall his name, I'll tell it because I need to tell people he's an absolute false teacher. He's an adulterer uh, who he took over for Eddie Long, but but he's he's made some incriminating statements against others. Uh, but yet he himself is is just ravished with sin. Jamal so, Bryant, Mr. Jamal yes, Bryant. Yes, Jamal Bryant. Take mm -hmm. the past in, from in front of his name and say, Jamal, repent and believe the gospel. Mm -hmm. You yeah. don't believe the gospel. You don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. T.D. Jakes. You don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are an anti-Trinitarian, which means if you don't repent, you will perish and go to hell. Let's go on and on and on and on with these men who are liars, deceivers. Uh, Joel Osteen, you are defrauder of the word of God. You manipulate people. You lie to people. You deceive people. You want people to be happy while they go to hell. You're not loving. You're hateful. Now, a true loving shepherd is going to care for the congregation and give them the very word that Jesus said in John 17 that he gave to his disciples. Father, I have given you, them your word because your word is truth, and through your word they will be sanctified. And here we are having all of these other men who are preaching everything but faithful, exegetical doctrine. I'm not saying hijacking a text and uh, making it rel relative to today's time, but exegetical, looking at the original language, the Hebrew and the Greek, looking at their history. Why was this book written? Who was it written for? What is the author as the Spirit inspired him trying to convey to that church then as he is now? That's faithful preaching. All the other preachers are false. They're missing the point or they're heretical and they need to be called out. True faithful shepherds are going to deliver the word of God as uh, one passage was MacArthur, I, my job is to take the word from the chef, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the table without messing it up, without smearing it, without dropping it. That's a faithful servant. And that's one of the words you find in the, the Greek text when it talks about this diakonos, when it comes to ministering the word of God. A faithful steward is able to transfer that truth 
from the kitchen to the table in a faithful and an authentic way that God has intended, and you don't find many of these men doing it. So now another infomercial. If you find yourself at a church that is teaching heresy, false doctrine, BLM movement, BLM, and it's not bacon, lettuce, and mayonnaise. <laughs> if you find your place, if you find that you are there, leave. It's false. It's deception. It is a lie. It is out of God. Find a Bible-teaching, Bible-practicing, Christ-loving, people-shepherding congregation to attend so that you may be sanctified or, by the grace of God, saved. Yeah. That's the end of that infomercial. No, that's a good one because I think that's – I've heard this from a number of people that are wrestling – should I leave? Should I stay? And the answer is really clear at this point. If the pastors are not willing to, to stand up on this and they're not wise enough to see this, then you have to leave because the issue, the issue that you were, you were alluding to a minute ago, which is massive, as a pastor, we're the community theologian. We're the community watchman. We're on the wall. We're, we're seeing the enemy which is CRT as a massive, I think, the greatest enemy of our time philo philosophically, and it's going to be the destruction of our yes. of our of our world. I really believe that I, in my mind, and I don't think that's an overstatement. And and we are we are the ones who are supposed to call that out. But here's here's the reality: most of these pastors, they're not calling it out; they're standing with it, because if you can't, if you don't know scripture and you're not guided by Scripture, mm -hmm. then you don't know how to interpret the world. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to see the dangers. You're not going to be able to discern the the pitfalls. You're not going to be able to do this. So if a pastor is being swayed by this and, and supporting it and going that way, his issue isn't BLM or CRT. His issue is he doesn't trust the Scriptures. He doesn't know the yeah. Scriptures, mm -hmm. and therefore he's not going to change. Some, you know, having a conversation with him isn't going to change him. He's got a greater issue that, again, Revelation 2 and 3 uh, is pretty scary. The Lord is going to remove him if he hasn't already. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's serious. This is, I, I was telling somebody the other day, I really believe that we've entered an age of apostasy where, where with CRT and BLM and all of this nonsense, we've entered because of, because at least in our area, it is infiltrating churches in such mass. I mean, I, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm finding out every week of churches. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like that guy's embracing this where it's like, we're, I'm calling it an age of apostasy where guys are turning back from truth to embrace the man centered man, man derived, theology and teaching and uh i mean that's what that's what that is they're turning away from truth in droves and uh, i think i think it's not going to slow down yeah brother i think i just wanted to add one more thing to to your point um if, if a pastor is uh been faithful over the years and, and he's willing to reason and listen and repent of of uh that waywardness praise god for that and, and if you know your pastor is a faithful preacher of the word of god over the years but He's drifting. Go to him and Absolutely. warn him. But something that is so critical that that I think we tend to give pastors too much of a free pass yes. on this one. Yes. Right? The scripture says what makes him eligible for preaching, not that he's working his way toward it, but that he's demonstrating being able to hold fast, Titus chapter 1, the faithful word as he was taught. 
That's mm-hmm. exactly it. You must, there must be a consistency of faithfulness in his conviction and his communication of that truth. Yep. For him to actually be in a position to pass or lead the people. Yep. So if you say, well, you know, he's doing the best he can. There's no, there's nothing in the scripture that says the qualities of a pastor is to do the best he can. Wow. Amen. Listen, listen, I am so glad you brought that up because, <laughs> because from day one, and I know you have the same conviction, brother. That's what I love about you. From day one, I have said that I am not going to stand behind a pulpit until I have enough training to know what in the world I'm supposed to do, right? And so my theory was always to be a medical doctor, you got to have 10 years, roughly 10 years of training. So I said, I'm not going to a pulpit until I have roughly 10 years of training. So if, if a medical doctor has to cut on people, and before he's allowed to cut on people physically, he's got to be trained and have the credentials to show it. And a pastor is a spiritual doctor who cuts on people and his cuts can condemn eternally mm. because of Amen. false teaching. I'm not going right. to do that. And yet I'm watching this even right here in our in our community where those words you just said, I'm hearing it. Well, he just doesn't know. He he just I'm like, wait a minute. Would you go to your doctor? And your doctor says, so you're feeling what? Mm. You're 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 I don't I've never heard of that. Let me let me go talk to some people and come back to you. Uh, yeah, I'll go get another doctor. You yeah. know, uh, which which arm is it? Oh, it's the right arm. Well, I cut off your left arm. I'm sorry, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. Like, we would never put up with that with a medical doctor or with a dentist. Oh, oh, it's the right molar. I pulled out the left. I'm sorry. Mm. Please forgive me. We would never. That's nonsense. But yet with pastors, we're just ah. Well, he's poor guy. He's trying. He's trying. No nonsense sorry amen it is nonsense it's theological nonsense it yeah, doesn't it's... fit the fit the profile of the scripture of a godly man a faithful man and then paul says let it be tested over time there has to be a, a visible sense in which their belief message behavior and the theological convictions are there but also the way they communicate it is faithful to the original intent of the author and if that that transmission of the intent of the dual authorship of the spirit of God and that human author, if that's not being transmitted in the preaching, then doing the best he can is not acceptable according to God's standard. Yeah. I think we've lowered the bar, but you, the, your medical illustration is so fitting because every Sunday a preacher preaches, it's like open heart surgery. And every time he botches the surgery, it's life or death. We're talking about eternal things here. Mm. Yep. This is not just a temporary agony of, of, of a, a, a limb gone bad. This is eternity hangs in the balance. I told the congregation several times, eternity hangs in the balance every time we step up and preach the word of God. Amen. Of course, there's a stricter judgment for the preacher, and you, you wish that he has a sense of fear when he stands before the people, and if he's not ready to close the Bible and sit down. But there's, there's a great accountability before God, as you mentioned in Revelation, for that lack of faithful stewarding of that truth. But I think believers and listeners need to hold their pastors uh, to the biblical standard, not the world standard, and certainly not the ungodly, devilish, yes, pardon my clarity, the devilish standard that Joel Osteen and others and TBN, yes, the, the untrinitarian broadcasting network has, <laughs> has established, and that bar is so low that a four-year-old can actually stand up there and speak and it'd be profound. 
And so that that shows the, the level of, of, of um, incompetency that you can have as a preacher and still be accepted. But that's not the standard that God has set. You have just tuned in to the pastor's soapbox part two. <laughs> this is the uh, pastors that are going uh, back and forth and giving their spiritual wisdom straight from the Bible. Uh, no place else, not from the wisdom that they have. And I appreciate you tuning in. So uh, I appreciate this because what this is actually doing between the two of you, you are actually, from what I know about you, Seymour, and obviously what I know about you, Matt, you are literally uh, setting this standard for yourselves as well. You know, like this is a standard that, you know, you were saying, and I've seen this, you know, in, in your life, Matt, uh, you know, consistently that you are, you know, holding fast to the teachings that are in the scripture and that I love that waiter analogy, you know, that that is, you know, God is the chef and we are literally just picking up the plate, not dropping it and not altering the food on it. Um, because in that case, you know, the, the server would be the one that gets the praise and gets the the honor for that food versus the actual chef that's doing it. So um, I also I want to just I love this whole analogy as well. I'm, all I'm doing is just pulling out points because I'm not going to try to, you know, add to this. I'm just pulling out highlights of it. Uh, I love the uh, I, I call it uh, pastoral malpractice that you all have uh, kind of highlighted because uh, that is that is very serious. And, you know, Matt, the uh, analogy of the doctor, you know, cutting off the wrong arm or uh, misdiagnosing and giving you the wrong medicine. I mean, that is that is really serious, you know, well, and that's exactly what's happening with this BLM disaster. Yeah. All these pastors are giving the wrong medicine when you give when you diagnose okay, the wrong problem. Like like Seymour brought up earlier, if the problem's racism, then the solution will never be the gospel, right? So mm-hmm. so so when the problem is external, like they're making it, like it's a cultural problem, it's a structural problem, it's an uh, ancestral problem, it's a it's a it's a um, uh, ethnic problem, whatever whatever it is, it's a financial problem, it's a it's an emotional problem. There's all everybody has their own category for what, whatever it is. Whenever that is the problem, then the solution will be anything but the gospel. Mm. And, and so what we're watching happen in our churches is all these pastors are doctors and they're misdiagnosing, but their, their misdiagnosis is damning because it's turning people away from the only thing that can help them. And so um, that's why it, it infuriates me because I'm watching this happen all the time. And it's like, no. No, you're giving people the wrong pill. You're giving them the wrong uh, prescription. Their problem is not their toenail or their eyelid. It's their heart. And the gospel is the only answer. There's no nothing else that will work. There's nothing else that will help. And you're going to send them to hell on a, on a political activism mission. And Amen. it's really, really, really sad. And so that practice, that medical malpractice, is what we're watching and we would never put up with that never put up with that in our medical world we would we would see those doctors you know it uh brought to uh justice to the fullest extent of the law and yet we let pastors 
uh, slide under the radar like no big deal. And so, yeah, I, it's. I want to add something to that because I want to take this analogy a little further. And here's how you take that analogy a little further. Not only are they misdiagnosing, but they're also given medicine that is man-made. So instead of saying, hey, go home and uh, eat better, go home and uh, exercise, uh, things that literally uh, are natural, you know, all natural, they're giving them uh, man-made medicine. And I say that because um, of the, you know, one of the pastors, and I'll just call him out because he is along the same lines as uh, Jamal Bryant. Uh, Eric Mason, uh, uh, Dr. Eric Mason, if you want to call him, um, he has been literally preaching about uh, reparations being biblical. And it's a, it's a, he's taking, he is taking the idea of reparations are supposed to be for black people and trying to pull scripture in and preaching on this. So, so there was restitution, I would imagine, in, in biblical scripture. And this is a question for you. Um, restitution, uh, he was using, uh, who was the King Cyrus, when they were, when the Israelites were taken out of exile, uh, his, his, his very famous sermon, he was talking about uh, the Cyrus giving, uh, Cyrus giving the Israelites uh, what he called uh, drip is what he called it stacks and what he called it. And it's like, you know, talking about gold and silver and, uh, uh, livestock. Uh, and then he said, gold, hallelujah, silver, hallelujah, livestock. I feel God right there. And, uh, this is what he's saying and making it a, uh, a, a spiritual thing, making it a thing of like, yes, this is what you are supposed to, uh, be doing for black people who are in bondage and are re- being released from bondage. Um, really, he's given a man-made solution to an, an, an all-natural problem. So he not only has a misdiagnosis of it, but he's also given a man-made medicine instead of just literally taking that plate from the kitchen and putting it on the table for his... Uh, his 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 congregation to consume. So, can you clear this up for me? The uh, do we have time for that? Because I because the look on y'all's faces is is more like a I can't Seymour's believe that, that was actually said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's classic James Cone Black hey, Liberation. Thank you. Thank you. Demonic hell people driving to. Yep. It is it is it is really the black plague in our soul. Mm. When when a man who is dead in his sin uh, can manipulate scripture as James Cone did out of just sheer hatred and bitterness in his soul that was never resolved because of the mistreatment he said he received as a young person. James Cone preached as a bitter man. Yep. He preached as a man who used that energy, that, that zeal that was built on bitterness and anger to drive his false theology. You know, they, they taught us in seminary that you always want to learn a person's presupposition. <laughs> Why are you doing what you do? What's your base conviction? What's your base belief that drives you? 
what I perceived dr drove James Cone was bitterness and hatred. Mm. And then that becomes the linchpin for fleshing out um, a philosophy that closely resembles the scripture, but is far from it. And he did, a, I think, a masterful job of doing so. So Mason fits into that category. It's not redemption from sin. It's, it's not even being freed from the slavery of sin. It's actually bringing people back into more bondage. Uh, because years ago, those who oppressed even the slaves, they, they used to sing songs of Zion. Uh, the oppression on this earth prepared them for the future glory. And I thought that's what Paul said about the sufferings we face in this life. Yep. The more comfortable you are in this world is the more uncomfortable you'll become with the world to come. The more pleasurable this world is for you is the more distasteful the future glory will become. And you find that these men like Mason are preaching a distaste and a disdain for the coming of Christ because they're, they're preaching a pleasure on this earth which was not promised to anyone. So I would say that um, uh, Eric Mason is preaching like an unbeliever. Mm. And I will leave it up to God to judge where he is as a matter of faith, but he's preaching as an unbeliever uh, who has been attracted to uh, James Cones's quote, black liberation doctrine. Now, you know, on, on that, let me just extend it to say uh, this clearly, um, that anytime someone were to, to pay back, and if you were to use that term, you find that to be true in, in um, Luke chapter 19 with Zacchaeus, it was strictly voluntary. Uh, there was no other compulsion. There was not a national compelling Zacchaeus was demonstrating fruit of repentance. But fruit of repentance for other people is going to look different. Mm. Matthew or Levi, when, when Christ called him, did not do that. So it doesn't fit the same for everyone, nor is it commanded for everyone. So when you look at the new covenant, um, fruit of repentance, the, the, the key element in fruit of repentance is, is our agreement with God is having a change of mind about sin before a holy and a just God. And then in doing so, we turn from our sin, right? We know that we, we turn to, to God, trusting in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life for us, died a perfect sacrifice. God was pleased with crushing of his son and his son's sacrifice for condemned sinners. And then the fruit of repentance, and this is so important, the fruit of repentance is seen in holy living. In the constant life of asking God for forgiveness and confessing our sins because we're always agreeing with God. When we sin, we always agree with God. We should. We always should agree with God that that sin is an offense to God. And then doing so, we, we put on the virtues that reflect Christ's likeness. So fruit of repentance is, is Christ's likeness. It is maturity. It is sanctification. It's being more and more like Jesus Christ. Um, reparation kind of fits into the category of, of penance. Exactly. You're, you're, you're trying to pay back for your transgressions yep. as opposed to trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you're paying back for something that was done generations ago. Once again, that is a total betrayal of forgiveness and mercy. Yep. It has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with the gospel. Now, in, in taking the Old Testament passages, we, we realize that there's a context there. There's a history there. But you, you also have in some, some aspects a, a theocratic rule. 
Of course, with King Cyrus, you didn't really have that. You had people in exile. So those are isolated instances that you just, you cannot build a doctrine on. Nope. You build the doctrine for the church primarily on new covenant teachings. It's yep. not that you don't teach the old covenant, but the way of life and the normative way of life of the Christian is seen in the New Testament. And then he can draw principles from the Old Testament accordingly. But the entirety of scripture was really to reveal God's plan and God's kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ, and his redemption of sinners in this fallen world. All the other nuances that we have reparations doesn't fit into God's ultimate plan of redemption and sanctification of future glory. Uh, therefore, it actually exceeds what is written, and it is heretical in nature. Amen. Wow. Amen. Matt, you want to add to that? Yeah, I got a lot to say about it, but I, I think Seymour nailed it on multiple levels. And I think what you described with Eric Mason and, and anybody that really preaches or teaches reparations, it, it's, so, it's so egregious hermeneutically. Like, it, like it, it, the hermeneutics that would lead you to a place to embrace reparations is so, is so uh, bad that you just, you're struggling on, on levels that are almost beyond hope because reparations is so unbiblical. Like you can't support it anywhere. Only way you can do that is by twisting scripture and misinterpreting scripture, misapplying scripture, which is they always are going to go back to Israel. They're always going to look at that. And like Seymour said, it's a theocratic kingdom that is a totally different historical context. You cannot, you cannot make that. And, and that wasn't even, even really reparations if you know what's going on there right. and what God is right. doing with his people. And uh, the bigger thing about reparation, though, comes down to just the mindset that thinks we deserve this. Like, oh, we wow. deserve judgment. Yeah, like, we, That's what we deserve. Mm -hmm. We don't deserve anything. If anybody deserves reparations, it's God, right? Mm -hmm. He deserves he deserves to be given the glory he's due. We're glory thieves. We've been stealing from God since Genesis chapter 3. Mm -hmm. So if anybody deserves to get anything back, it's God Almighty. We deserve nothing but hellfire, wrath, and, and judgment. And so reparations is Man. wrong from the very get-go because it's driven by a mindset that is that is discontent and dissatisfied with God and saying, you have not given to us what we deserve. And so we want it back. And all it demonstrates is, 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 is literally a, a selfish, prideful, uh, thieving heart that says, no, we, we want, we want our, our due. It's the prodigal son's mindset, right? Give me, give it to me now. Right. And uh, I wish you were dead father. So I could get, that's what's behind reparations. It's not justice and it's not equality. It's selfishness, and uh, and in large part, you can tell because it's generational, right? And like like Seymour was saying, Zacchaeus went back to the people he wronged, right? He went back to the ones he wronged, the ones he specifically stole from, and and he made it right because that's what he was convicted that he needed to do, as even demonstrating the level of his humility and brokenness. Well, that's not what we're talking about in reparations because that's impossible. We're so far beyond, you know, those generations that that's it's people who honestly, I, I, honestly, most of them don't even have connection to anybody in slave. And if they did in slavery and if they did, they couldn't figure it out. They're just right. assuming they did and right. they're wanting free stuff from it. That's what it is. That's all it is. That's what the looting and the and the rioting and all of that shows. So 
yeah, we, we deserve judgment, not reparations. And the Bible's clear about that. And the sooner, and the only way you get to that mindset is by the gospel. And so the world just thinks this because the world is like we all once were, as Paul said, right? Enslaved to sin and selfish and prideful. And that's all reparations is. Again, the world's going to do that. It doesn't bother me. I expect it. But when pastors like Eric Mason get in the pulpit and, and others preach this, this hellish satanic nonsense, that's when it, it really gets under my skin because it's, it's, it's medical malpractice. It's theological malpractice. And they're going to have hell to pay, literally, from Christ. So, mm-hmm. well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm. We're getting ready to close. Is, is that what the, the pastors usually say when they' about to come round the, round the corner, and uh, in their sermon? I'm, I'm getting ready to close. I never say that because <laughs> you just keep going. <laughs> He's like the Apostle Paul. People fall out of windows and everything while you preach it, man. Just keep it going. Now, I don't care if it's a storm. I'm gonna still preach. <laughs> So uh, I think that the as we close, um, one obviously we want to always present the gospel, but um, you, we we I just want to make sure that we we were clear. One of the questions that I did want to ask about is, you know, as a pastor, how do you address, you know, the uh, I would say the politics that are, uh, and I'm talking about the politics of church. <laughs> I'm talking about the politics of of the world and the election coming up and all those types of things. Um, I would say quickly, um, but I know better with the two of you, um, what would we, how would, how would, how would you address that or what should be the, the proper way? Um, I think I know the answer to the question, uh, but I just want to make sure that we're clear because we were, we're kind of going around it, uh, and, and saying it, but you know, as far as, uh, like this whole idea of, of, of politics and, 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 and the whole reality of politics, how do you address that uh, in a pastoral, or I would not even say pastoral, in a biblical way? Um, what should we be mindful of? Go for it, brother. Well, I'm not a donkey or an elephant, so I don't qualify. <laughs> <laughs> I am a sheep. And my savior says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And the goal of the pastor is to familiarize the congregation with the voice of that great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to love him deeply and intimately. Uh, It can be easily said that uh, politics or voting for a candidate is also another form of a social issue. So it could be a matter of a conflict of interest uh, if we are voicing our support for a candidate. But what we should clearly do is we must teach our congregants how to engage in this sinful world responsibly and how to look at the issues uh, that each candidate may hold, and I'm not saying Republican, Democrat, but just in general, and and square those things up with scripture and make sure that the word of God informs their conscience when it comes to these decisions. 
because we're in a quote democratic society and it's good to participate in these things. But uh, for me, I'm just saying personally, I've never felt compelled to force uh, any of the attendees to vote um, because I don't have that command from my savior. But I would tell them to be responsible in this society and engage where they can. But if, for example, for some, their conscience, for some reason, would not allow them to vote for any one of the candidates, I would never encourage my congregation to choose the best out of the two evils. That's just not how my God works. It was Calvin who said that whenever you're in a country uh, and uh, you have nothing but evil leaders to choose from, it's the judgment of God. Mm. And uh, I look at it just like that. Wow. So I, I, I encourage the congregation that if that's the best we have and you're picking the best out of the evils, it just shows how corrupt our nation has become. Yep. And uh, the other point, too, is that I, I'm also cautious when we as people say that this is the most important election in the history of our nation. Well, hold on. Are we thinking nationally <laughs> or are we thinking Christologically? Uh. I'm concerned about the last things. Yep. I'm concerned about the judgment of my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm concerned about the coming of my Savior and making sure that, that we are alert in preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I tried to encourage the congregation to develop a biblical worldview on these issues and let your conscience be guided and directed by the word of God and then choose accordingly in that category. But because I, I'm sheep and I'm really just working and learning how to listen to my Savior, I don't listen to my Savior enough. I certainly don't have time to learn what the donkey and the elephants are saying. <laughs> I do give God thanks. I do give God thanks for... Our leaders, I submit to them. I pray for local, state, and you know our the POTUS. Um, one thing I warn believers is watch your negative comments about civic leaders and uh, civil leaders. That is, and the president. I know sometimes Christians feel they can criticize them. It's okay to address moral and ethical wrongs, but Christians should never engage in character assassination. And then finally, it is not a secret. That And I will say this in this case, that the Democratic Party, and I'm not saying I'm for one, but the Democratic Party, because they are grossly entrenched in murder. They have committed more murders than, than, than uh, Hitler has done. This is the new Holocaust and it's abortion. Yep. They have been known to fund abortions and they, they, they will even fund partial birth abortions. So they're murderers. And because of the, the Christian needs to consider that when, when they're deciding. Now, I'm not saying the Republicans are, are free or spotless, but we should engage in those issues wisely and know that there's some critical points that we should, we should remember because life and death belongs to God. According to Genesis 9, God instituted a punishment, uh, a life for a life, uh, because everyone's created in the image of God. And then Ecclesiastes chapter three says, it's a time to one and a time to die. All of that is on the hand of the sovereignty of God. Therefore, no one has the right to say this child doesn't deserve to live because the mother can't take care of this child or whatever the case may be. The ultimate answer, the ultimate authority over that is, is God himself. So you will always talk about those issues, but it is not in the sense of saying that one party is particularly better than another. That's not our duty. Our duty is to, to give them biblical principles and then say, make a good decision that glorifies God 
but make sure that your eyes are not fixated on America, but fixed on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, yeah, exactly. I totally agree with my brother. And as pastors, we need to, uh, we need to inform our churches, uh, scripture, not political stuff. And we need to equip them to deal with the political stuff according to a conscience that has been conformed to the scriptures. If you have a conscience that's conformed and informed by the scriptures, then you'll be totally fine to go into a voting booth and, and make the right choice. And so uh, my, my, one of the things I get very concerned about every political cycle is how animated and passionate I watch people get over politics and for some reason, I see those same people who call themselves Christian never get animated or excited about evangelism. Yeah. And that has always bothered me. I've never understood that. You know, people, will, people will come to blows over, uh, with other people who speak disparagingly against their political party or their political candidate. But their neighbor who's going to hell in a handbasket they won't even bother to pray for him, let alone share the gospel with him. Mm. And I think that's a blight on the church, especially in America, especially yeah. here in the East Coast, where we're 15 miles from the White House. And uh, so it's a it, it, that just it just in this area here, it just really bothers me. Uh, this area is entrenched in what I would call the distraction of politics. Uh, the government's important. God designed it. God orchestrated. It's a common grace of God because not to stop uh, the evil of man, because that's impossible, but to restrain it, right? To to hold it back. And one day the Lord's going to remove that, and it's he's by wicked men, and it's going to be scary. But uh, I think four things to to answer succinctly for Buddy, because he doesn't think I can do it. Four <laughs> things. Four things. <laughs> Four things that have to be paramount on the mind of the believer when he considers politics. And here we are in the throes of this toxic season again. One, the sovereignty of God. Way too many people lose way too much sleep over politics when, all, when it's all already been written. God is sovereign. He puts kings in places and he takes them away. Daniel 4, Daniel 5, Proverbs 16, right? The, the, the heart of the king, what is it, Proverbs 28, is, a, is, is like a river in the hand of God. He steers it wherever he wants. God is sovereign. We need to vote as citizens, right? We need to live as responsible citizens. We need to fulfill our duties, pray for our leaders, submit to them, honor the emperor, as Peter said. But we need to do it all with joy, knowing God is sovereign, no matter what an emperor decrees, no matter, what it, no matter who's there. Number one, the sovereignty of God. Number two, this is a big one that doesn't get talked enough about in political seasons, the sufficiency of Christ. I don't need another president or another uh, a su Supreme Court justice or judge, whoever these people are and whatever they're going to bring, the Lord will use temporally. But whatever they bring can't compare to what I've already received in Christ. Christ is my peace. Christ is my joy. Christ is my everlasting, the everlasting riches that cannot be ever depleted. I need nothing else. So if I have Christ, whoever the president is and whatever party's in, 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 in rule, and, it, and that could bring all kinds of temporal disaster, I don't deny that, 
but it compares nothing to what I already have in, in Christ. And I think many Christians lose sight of the sufficiency of Christ because they're trying to find sufficiency in a government or in a party or in some utopian dream. The third thing is the sinfulness of man. Wade, and, and you said it, Seymour, Wade, I've heard it, I don't know how many times already, this is the most important election of our time. This candidate will save us. This candidate will change it. Listen, I don't care who gets elected, they're all gonna be just, just riddled with depravity and all kinds of evil thoughts and all kinds of hidden agendas and motives. Why? Because the sinfulness of man. And so I think we set the expectations way too high. I think scripture is clear, very clear. As a matter of fact, multiple times in the Psalms, it declares, do not put your trust in human governments. And the reason why we shouldn't is because we know they're sinful. We know that it's, it's going to fail. It's going to struggle. It's going to be corrupt. And so there's, that protects us from an over-exaggerated expectation that will never meet and will always leave us discouraged and depressed. And the last thing, which I think is huge, and Seymour hit on it, is do not negate the mission of the church. The mission of the church is not social reform. The mission of the church is gospel declaration around the globe. And so no matter who's president, no matter no matter who gets in office, no matter what the, the Supreme Court judge or justices are, whoever they are, at the end of the day, nothing changes for us. The mission is not political and it's not social, it's theological. And that's what we're called to invest in as Christians. So we do our, our civic duty, which is a blessing, is a privilege, especially in this country, but we do it. And um, I like to say we vote and we go home and we go to sleep. And we get up the next day and we share the gospel. Mm. And that's it. Like, we're done. Like, all right, it's finished. Now I'm going to go preach the gospel because that's why I'm here. And uh, I, yeah, so there you go. Done. That's good. That's good. All right. Uh, well, um, I think at this point, what we need to do is just do uh, to, to uh, share the gospel. Um, which one of you would like to do it? I got a lot of uh, positive feedback uh, from either one of you, both of you, I would say. So, uh, oh no, I want Seymour. To, Seymour's our guest, so uh, he needs. I need. To I'm on the his. second time. Am I still a guest? Well, <laughs> let me. Let you me, know, let me say it this way: you, you, you are a uh, requested guest because many, many have said, "Man, that guy was helpful. He was helpful." I said, "He is helpful. He's a dear brother." So. I'm already I'm already trying to figure out how I can fly you out here and get you in front of our people preaching. So uh, I'm looking forward to that already, my brother. I'm already thinking about it. We're gonna do a conference uh, or something, man. It's it's good. Yeah, absolutely. I look, forward to that. I look forward to it. It's been a while since we were able to unite, brother. So it'll be great. Be awesome. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. I think it's important when we look at the condition of humanity to put ourselves in that mix. That we're not speaking abstractly or as Pharisees, but we're sharing in agreement our epitaph and our spiritual death. Foolish, so why you see humanity's actions indifferent toward God, that the best thing unbelievers can do 
consistently is foolish things because that's a part of the outworking of their sinful nature. Disobedient, led astray, Titus 3, verse 3, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I mean, that's a, a classic description, along with Ephesians 2, of humanity in general. Every person fits this. Paul is not saying this. A few of you in Crete, no, he says, we ourselves, including a Paul who is a Jew converted to Christianity, zealous for Judaism, dead in his sin. I was, he says, I was the same way. What we see in this world today uh, is, is a summary, a portrait, an acting out of this. We see this happening in Portland. Uh, the writing in Portland and other places uh, has nothing to do with human passion for what is right. It has everything to do with human passion led astray. It has everything to do with enslavement to our own emotion that is left unchecked because we're spiritually dead. And the only one who can check our emotion, check our thoughts is God. And if you're dead in your sin, your emotions will always be left unchecked. Why do you think we have these divorces? Because people have irreconcilable differences? No. Why do you think we have all of the, the hate and the animosity and the striving in this world? And even the categorization of, of everyone created in God's image is because of this. And then the end of Titus, verse 3, it says that we were hated by others, but hating one another. Well, what's the intervention? What's the hope? What's the cure? It says, but these divine invasions of our sin, our bankruptcy, our death, our estrangement, our alienation, our, our hatred, uh, our enmity toward God, when the goodness, this is so glorious, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us. And that is why we declare the good news. Because it is the only cure for the disobedience. The only cure for the foolishness. No, the cure for your son or daughter acting up in your home is not rehabilitation. It is not the boys and the girls club. It is not the YMCA. It is Yeshua. It is Jesus Christ. He saved us not because of works done by us, even in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. In summary, the invasion of your spiritual death and darkness is by the sovereign life-giving spirit of God. The Holy Spirit invades your death and darkness and gives you new life. But it says, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And once again, that, that is the reason why we are confident in the gospel because of its transforming power. That is why we're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God into salvation. That is why we declare the gospel that God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to take on our wicked, evil, guilt, condemnation to take on our humanity. He had a perfect humanity in this imperfect world to redeem sinfully hell-bound, condemned people who were destined and deserving of God's wrath. The good news is the remedy and the cure for our estrangement from God 
and also our hostility toward each other. That is when Ephesians chapter two, it says that uh, some of the most hostile of people in society have been reconciled to God and united in the Lord Jesus Christ and can have fellowship with each other. That cannot be legislated. Then that cannot be passed by law because of our natural hatred toward each other. There's no law that can be passed. I mean, the irony is that I would have a family member who's of this ethnicity, quote, black, who's being mistreated by others because she doesn't agree with them, but yet they said that she needs help. So we know that the motive uh, for liberating, quote, black people or, or dealing uh, with, with, with white guilt or, or disadvantage, the white privilege, has nothing to do with helping people of color. It has everything to do with hatred and animosity and indifference, and ultimately it's because of our hatred toward God. Now, this is a mercy of God in rescuing people who hate him, who given life to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins and were hostile toward him. That is why we say, yes, you, that enemy. Yes, I'm talking to you. You hate God. You hate the gospel. You hate Christianity. You hate the truth. You love Joel Osteen. You love T.D. Jakes, but you hate truthful preaching. Yet I still proclaim to you that Christ came, yes, to save even you. Because... He's a God of mercy, a God of love, who poured out his just wrath on his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem you in spite of your sinful, wicked ways. That's why I said, go back to verse three and said, I am no different. I was no wiser. I was just as foolish, just as disobedient, led astray, slave to those same sinful passions as you. I'm no different than you are. But God's mercy came and rescued me. And I pray that God's mercy will come and rescue you in the pits of your critical race theory, of your Black Lives Matter, of your Black Liberation Doctrine, and realize that you are a slave of sin and you are a subject and a son of God's wrath and you deserve his wrath, but he sent his son Jesus Christ because he is love and he came to rescue sinners from the wrath which is to come, his just holy, righteous, perfect wrath. wrath. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to grant to you the perfect life from above so that you can be set free from your sin, forgiven, receive a love that is relentless, a hope that is eternal, a home in glory that is being prepared for you, that is unfading, reserved in the heavens for those who turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we boldly proclaim to you, turn from your evil ways. Turn from your sin. Agree with God. You are that sinner. You are that guilty one. You don't love anybody. You love yourself. You want to be celebrated. The only reason why you want reparations is so that you can bring honor back to your name. It's because you're a lover of self and not lover of God. Turn from that sin. Turn from that deception. Don't be deceived by this world. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you. Because if there's one thing we all need to be rescued from, and it is not from poverty. It is not from the misfortunes in this world. You may spend 75 years on this earth, but you will spend an eternity somewhere. And that eternity in hell will be much more torment than the temporal loss of bread and a morsel of bread or wine or drink or water. That eternity in hell is final and it is lasting torment. Flee from the wrath and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and spend an eternity with him where there'll be nothing but joy 
and bless and worship and thanksgiving as you feast on the bread from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that God opened your eyes as he did Lydia in Acts chapter 16 to hear the gospel, that you are that lawless sinner, that disobedient sinner, that Christ came to rescue you from your sin nature and from the wrath of God and to give you a new nature and robe you in his righteousness so that you, according to Titus 3 says, being justified by his grace that you may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's one more thing too, that this scripture says, God says to us that the politicians will not tell you the politicians will never tell you that they're liars, but they are. They'll never tell you that they're deceivers, but they have a track record. Faithlessness, deception, lies, scandals, cheating. The Bible says in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, that God, the original says he's the non-lying God. It is absolutely outside of his perfect character to lie. And if he's promised you the hope of eternal life, according to verse 2 of Titus 1, and also stated in verse 7 of Titus 3, he's a God who cannot lie. That is a God to trust in. That is a truth to rest your eternal hope and turn from your sin, O unbeliever. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess him as Lord and Savior and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the scripture says, you will be saved. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the Word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.